Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, I'm Paulo Ferreira, and you are listening to the London News Book. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the London is Blue podcast, a podcast made for the fans, by the fans, celebrating the only team that matters. Come on, you blues. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. We're back midweek because there was just so much awesome stuff to talk about with Tweeds and Dan and Nick that we didn't want to cut it short, so instead... Uh, like we've done before, we're going to put this into two parts. Uh, this second part is going to be the questions we've gotten from social media, which is going to be a lot of more Man City discussion. And we'll also go ahead and preview the West Brom match. So if you haven't already listened to part one, head to our website, londonisbluepodcast.com or over to iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and check it out. It was an absolute banger. But here we go, guys. Social media questions. Uh, this is such a fun time because, like I said, all of you listening, if there's anything that you think that we should answer you know, about these questions, you can tweet us at London Blue Pod as well as on our Facebook. You can even email us. We have an email question, guys. We had an Instagram question last week. We are just getting bombarded with them, Dan. Um, and I thank you for keeping up with all of them. Uh, it's uh, it's it's nice to uh, you know be socially engaged with our, our wonderful audience, and uh, it's nice to have uh, pleasant things to talk about this season uh, versus last year when you wanted to scrub out your eyes when reading our questions. 
It's true. So kicking us off at the number five forward system asked us all, what is the percent chance Sesk was leaving in January before this match compared to what is the percentage now uh, after he, you know, inevitably or understandably put in a good performance. So Nick, you know, do you, it sounds like it was pretty likely he was going to leave before this match. What do you put the odds before and after? Uh, The same. I mean, I, I really don't know if, if you were a guy who was anti-Fabregas, how much this changed your perception of of him leaving, or if you were really pro-Fabregas, I guess you're probably hoping he stays around more now. I like, I, I don't know how one performance, although a good performance, I don't know how one performance can can change that percentage too much. I mean, I guess I would put it at you know we we talked to Nazar Kinsella last week, uh, who thought there was a chance he might go. So if it was a fifty-fifty. You know, maybe it's a 45 to 40 percent chance he's going to leave now. But, uh, you know, uh, Dan, I don't I don't know how much that can sway just from one match. Yeah, I, I don't know if that changes. I think, you know, Joe made a great point about alluding to the, the board backing, you know, Conte with a, you know, two, three, four player investment to really kind of, you know, uh, take care of the uh, the additional steel that we might require. And so I, I think he, you know, still is, you know, likely as anyone to go. I think it's really dependent upon if he has an opportunity over the next couple of fixtures, depending upon how significant the, you know, muscular concern is for Maddox uh, to, to really either supplant, you know, that position or to identify that he's not going to be a, you know, a long-term solution in the system. I guess if anything, I want to throw this to you, Joe, and see what you think. Does this more of an answer about Oscar's future instead? I mean, I think I've I've always been under the, I'm not saying under the impression, but I've always felt that some fairly substantial would leave in January, and I think probably from a financial fair play perspective, you know, I think Fabregas is on about 125, 150k a week, whereas I think Oscar's probably on half that. So. I do think those sorts of things will come into play, but I, I, I'm probably on the impression that one of them or maybe both may go in January. I think, you know, again, I think we'll echo to what I said in the first part of the podcast. So I think Fabregas had a pretty good game, but, you know, he's not all of a sudden going to become this sort of athletic super beast, which I think is probably what you're going to see this team evolve into over the next two, three seasons. So from Fabregas's perspective, I, I think he's a player that wants to play. He doesn't just want to sit on the bench, but equally, you know, you've got to factor in. He's probably not going to get these sorts of wages elsewhere unless he wants to retire in China or, you know, be, become one of the sort of the major people within the MLS for maybe a new franchise or something like that. But I don't think it's really, hasn't really changed my perception. You know, I think he's he's still not first choice and, and the, ultimately this sort of comes down to the financial stuff and me is that you don't want one of your highest earning players sitting on the bench ultimately. And I think it, it may it may come down to that if they said, you know, okay, we can get Antoine Griezmann or we can get Marco Verratti in on similar sort of money but Fabregas has to go I, I think you know even people who like Fabregas the majority of them might say okay you know sell Sask and get get one of those guys and he probably will fit the system a bit better but we'll wait and see you know I think Oscar, the only thing really going in Oscar's favour at the moment is that he's he's cheaper to keep a hold of he's younger um, and yeah I mean I still cling on to the hope that that sort of one in ten performance that he has he can extrapolate that out a bit more to, to you know uh, being a little bit more consistent he seems like he's a good fit in that midfield but still you know what's it four or five years he's been here now he's still a very very inconsistent player so yeah it's it's, it's going to be I think a toss-up between Oscar or Fabregas but you know both could go one could go but I think obviously you need to factor in that from a money side of things that, that Oscar is younger and on less wages whereas Fabregas is probably one of our highest earners and what, 29 now nearly 30 so 
yeah, that probably will come into play as well. All right. Uh, we actually got a tweet in uh, middle of the show from at Nick Verlaney who says, Joe, which under the radar players do you see Chelsea looking at? Give us your professional opinion. Wink face. We got to stop letting that guy putting his questions in. You know, he just uh, I, trolls the Twitter account <laughs> the entire time. I hear that he's a real jerk. And, uh, you know, I, whoever that is, you better get it together. I think we should ban him from the podcast in future. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I asked the question, and we can't take it back. So, Joe, you've got some under-the-radar players. We know Ooh. you do. You're sitting on a pile of, you know, scouting reports. What do you got? So, I mean, I think everyone probably well, may or may not remember, but I was huge on, on Naby Cato in the summer and probably a little bit before that. And I think he's been absolutely sensational for for Leipzig in Germany this season. So he probably is one that we might not be able to get now. But he's kind of like, if, if N'Golo Kante at his very best is like the best at that, he's kind of the N'Golo Kante, but a little bit kind of more final third. So you've kind of got a balance of just two people who can run all game and tackle and kick and intercept and... He's kind of more the final third person. But, I mean, realistically, if I'm looking at someone in January, I still think we need another centre-half who can play with the ball. Um, I think you see limitations when Louise shifts the ball to the right or the left and you don't have someone with the ability to, to pass the ball between the lines, so sort of beat that first forward press or kind of the midfield and then play it into Costa or Hazard. So I would really be looking at maybe a, a centre-back there. Um, obvious ones aside, people like Romagnoli, who's going to be a lot of money. Still very big on Jonathan Tarr, um, the guy who plays in, in Germany uh, for Leverkusen. I think he is a fantastic player. He's kind of Zuma, but a bit more technical. So I would maybe look at someone like that as, as a centre-half option. Um, still, I'm still big on, on uh, Raja Nangolin. I, I saw him play very, very well today. Um, spoke with someone who's a Roma fan and said he's playing a little bit out of position. And there is some issues with his... Uh, he was promised a, a contract increase after, you know, that Roma didn't sell him to Chelsea and that hasn't come to fruition, so he might be there. Um, I, I think probably what we're going to see maybe going forward, particularly in the summer, is less kind of these sort of under-the-radar players like Marcus Alonso. I, I think we are going to make a, a concerted effort to get someone like Marco Verratti or get someone like Anton Griezmann in, someone with, a, with kind of a bit of star quality because then when you start looking at our forward line, if you've got Hazard... Costa and Griezmann, then you are kind of elevating Chelsea into sort of the, the conversations with the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid and, and others. And I think that might be kind of where we're looking to get rather than sort of some of the under-radar types. But yeah, um, and I also think as well, we've got, we've got quite a few players out on loan who really do kind of fit the system. Now you look at someone like, you know, Andreas Christensen, who could come back and be that kind of ball-playing centre-half that we need. Um, you know, I'm not Baba Rahman's biggest fan, but as a wing-back, you know, there is obviously potential there for him to kind of come in and, and look at that sort of position as well. Nathan Ake, who finally is getting some game time for, for Bournemouth, looks like he could play as a left centre-half, but also equally as kind of a wing-back as well. So, so there's, there's probably a few kind of internal options that I think will, will probably make sense. But in terms of under-the-radar types of January, I would like to get um, a centre-half in, whether that's sort of Jonathan Tarr or... Even a midfielder, um, the guy, I always forget the guy's name. He plays for Leon. Um, I've completely, completely forgotten the guy's name off the top of my head, but someone in midfield who can probably do a bit more of the kind of box-to-box stuff and is a bit more mobile than Matic. But I don't see us really going too mad in January. Um, maybe I think a centre-half might come in. But uh, yeah, sort of under-the-radar types, probably someone like Jonathan Tarr is, is probably my favourite player to, to sort of buy in, in, in that kind of maybe 20, 20 £25 million pound bracket. 
although that seems quite a lot of money for the under-radar type, but, you know, it's, it's kind of going great for a fairly good young centre-half at the moment. Are you talking about Nabil Fekir? Uh, not Fekir, it's another guy's name. Um, Corentin Taliso, that's the guy's name. Yeah, um, I knew it wasn't yeah. right It just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it's just, uh, I just, just tricked his name there. So, he, so him, for me, he is kind of what I would expect someone like Marco van Hinkle without the injuries and a lot more game time and probably a little bit more charity to be like. So he's, he's very good on the ball. You know, he's, he's nicely two-footed. He uses the ball well. He's got a good range of passing, good defensively. Um, I think he's, he's kind of someone who would probably do Matic's role rather than Kante's and he's, he's kind of a little bit more aggressive in sort of the final third. But somebody like that... Um, and you guys probably follow Seb. So I think his name's Seb Blue Lion on Twitter, Sebastian Chapuy, who does a lot of French television. You know, he kind of sold him to me this season. I went and had a look at a couple of games and, you know, Seb thinks that he's probably the closest thing to like a Michael Essien type that's sort of available that you could buy in Europe at the moment for less than like 30 million pounds. So obviously Essien's my favourite player. So that was a pretty, pretty uh, interesting yeah. comparison. But I can definitely see that, you know, he's very tough in the tackle. You know, he's not huge, but... He's sort of probably about six foot, but he's he's very very strong. And yeah, you know, I think for these sort this little crop of players that Leon have brought through, you know, there are a lot more who are a bit more flashing than him. But if you want somebody, particularly in this sort of three four three, who is going to do what Matic, Matic does, um, but give you a little bit well, I say a little bit more, give you a lot more athleticism to cover left to right and, and get up and down. And I think he definitely is someone that we should be looking at. And he's not that old either. But then obviously the question comes in: who's you know who's part of is he blocking in the uh, in the academy? But you know, ultimately, he's, he's very early 20s. He's played a lot of football for Lyon, and particularly in their resurgence, and he's been one of their better players. And, you know, you're looking for someone who can do it all. He might not be, you know, upper echelon in terms of everything, but, you know, he's a good passer. He's good defensively. He's good athletically. You know, he's a good fit for the Premier League. So he could be someone I think we should be keeping a close eye on at least. Well, good timing on the Essien shout. It was just his birthday yesterday. Uh, Nick's, <laughs> yeah, Nick's favorite player as well. Um, no one, you know, I think has any bad feelings about him because he was just the ultimate team player and a, a superb talent that was unfortunately crippled with injuries. Uh, next tweet at Lab North says, do you think Pep experienced post-traumatic stress disorder from the, the Champions League 2012 semifinal when Hazard's breakaway for final goal was on Dan. I mean, yes. are these the flashbacks that he maybe was having? Well, he, he did have that moment in the match where he was uh, sarcastically applauding uh, Taylor's decision making, and uh, yeah, I, I think that 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 moment will continue to bring me joy for much time. And uh, I, I imagine that GIF will be reused uh, at some point in the future through our official Twitter account. Nick. He had sleepless nights, I feel like, before this match. He also has a real punchable face, you know, and um You're all about the aggression man. I kinda of, <laughs> I kinda of love it, but I'm also like half scared. I feel like you're Diego Costa before the Conte mind melds. I'm both. I'm both I'm both versions. Um <laughs> no, I think the uh it, it was kind of an eerily similar left side breakaway. In, I mean, obviously didn't didn't roll the keeper over and and perform a a haka dance before scoring, but um, it, it was kind of similar there. I think that Pep's reaction was just that of like, man, counterattacking works, <laughs> and it did. So uh, you know, what are you gonna do? 
Yeah, this is like the anti-Pep, you know, team model today. Um, but actually, Pep was really sarcastic and snide when he's talking to reporters. You know, they're asking him what he thought of his team. He's like, oh, it doesn't matter what I say. You guys are going to write whatever you want. Um, he was really bitter. I mean, he maybe said, like, congrats to Chelsea just to be politically correct. But dude was salty after the match. Um at Ross Spark 19 says, Diego Costa is incredible. Do you think he looks happy and will stay beyond the end of the season? Uh, he says he's irreplaceable. So, I mean, Joe, I know we've talked about this. Diego Costa has actually been very hot and cold. He said he was thinking about going back to Atletico this even this past summer, but it didn't happen. You know, winning obviously helps, as I've mentioned before, but what do you think about Diego Costa's demeanor and, and potential to stay on longer? I think a couple of things are working our favor on this. Now, I think the fact that it looks increasingly likely that Diego Simeone's time at Atletico Madrid has come to an end. Uh, I can see him moving to Inter Milan, a team that he played for. And I think, you know, he might try and resurrect them out there. And in which case, I can't see Costa going to Italy to play. Um, so I think maybe that Atletico Madrid link probably just doesn't exist anymore. And, and also, I think, you know, the, the kind of arrival of, of David Luiz has really kind of galvanized that sort of Latin American, Spanish kind of contingent who were maybe kind of considered being sort of looking elsewhere. You know, I think it's, there's no real, you know, kind of, you know, it's, it's not really surprising that you see maybe someone like Thibaut Courtois, who was considered a bit of an outsider by many Chelsea fans, you know, Spanish speaking, has kind of been brought closer into the whole whole club since Louise's return. So I think Louise is going to be quite pivotal in keeping someone like Costa here. But I kind of see that the, the club probably approaching him for a, maybe a contract renewal, maybe giving him an increase in wages because ultimately, yes, I, I you know, think he, he, he misses Madrid perhaps more than playing for a club there. He just misses the lifestyle. But I see him just being a lot happier this season in you know, his whole demeanour, the fact he's calmed down, the fact that actually I think a lot of his misgivings were with the media constantly picking at him and constantly being at his back and this season that just hasn't been happening. It hasn't been happening at all actually in the UK. And, you know, I think really, I just, I just see him being just a lot happier. You know, he's scoring goals, he's, he's creating, he's playing well, you know, he seems to be in a really good mood all the time. And I think if we, if we see him sign a contract extension this year, then I, I can't see him going anywhere really until, you know, he's maybe in his thirties and probably his time here is done. So I think that's going to be the crucial part. But, you know, if, if you're looking at the beginning of the season, I, I would have said that he would have had one more season here and gone, but, I think as we're going through the seasons now, you can see that kind of bond he's getting with Conte, very similar to the one that he had with Simeone while he was at Atletico. And, you know, if he can get that, that contract renewal secured and, and to be perfectly honest with you, you know, the way he's playing this season and, and you know, he is really one of the sort of top three centre forwards in Europe at the moment. He should be paid accordingly. I think he's, you know, he's probably on big money anyway, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, renewing him at, you know, 175k a week, 200k a week, you know, it's going to be big money. But, you know, if it keeps him here in his prime for the next three, four seasons, then I think it's, it's definitely, definitely going to be worth it, particularly if we improve the team and surround him with even more talented players. Because I think what we're seeing this season, particularly with those two inside four roles, where Hazard's playing and Pedro, you know, if you had someone, I think Pedro's been playing really well, just to caveat this, but if you had someone like Griezmann or someone of that kind of ability there, then all of a sudden, you know, Costa's goal again, he's just going to be absolutely thriving on that. So yeah, I hope he does stay. He's one of my favourite players, but... I think, you know, the, the the real test will be whether he signs a contract extension this season or not. If he does, he'll stay for a long time. If not, you know, he may he may be looking to move back to Spain for for kind of you know personal reasons. But I hope he does stay. Well, yeah, of course. You know, the media shift has been uh, an absolute 180. You know, he was a villain. Now, 
he's literally being lauded as one of you know not only the best strikers in england but in europe so i think that that has helped for sure you know nick piggybacking off that it, it, you know, kind of like what Joe, Joe said, talking about if we can get an extension in front of him. I mean, right now he's providing great value, you know, on the money that we're paying him. Well, right. And I think the whole point of extending him is, you know, to, you know, you're talking about security and, and the way that you feel um, in a club and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, this is the, the, you know, this is the time where a player can, you know, flex their muscle a little bit and exercise some leverage and say, Hey, you know, they could take the part of the podcast that Joe was talking about all of his stats and put that in front of the board and say, Hey, do you really want to lose me? Or do you want to keep me and pay me a lot more money? Uh, Here's how we're going to do this. Like, unfortunately that's like how it's going to go. The club has very little um, impact to pay him less than what his market value is. And I would assume that his market value is pretty high right now. So, um, you know, I think it'll just help him feel a little bit more secure and, and loved. And I do, I think he is a guy tough exterior and all that needs to feel loved uh, clearly didn't when Mourinho left and, and hitting obviously was just kind of there. Um, but I think he feels loved again and the, the fans obviously are a hundred percent behind him. So, you know, let's, let's sign him up. Moving on uh, at Neff. Brendan says our Fabregas's vision and passing abilities worth having to defend with only 10 men when we don't have the ball. <laughs> hey, you know what, Nick? At least he's honest and upfront about it and being like, hey, is this worth the sacrifice of essentially having one less person to defend on the field? Personally, no. But I, I think that there are going to be times this season, especially with the fixture list that's coming up and the close proximity of games to one another, that he's going to be inserted into that uh, in that mix and – why not? His his passing led to the first goal. It was fantastic. He clearly has an amazing sync with Costa's running ability, and you know, let's let's give him a chance in the right scenarios to to set him up for success. Sure, and we talked about this quite a bit in part one as well. Uh, we had a whole section dedicated to Fabregas, so I would urge you guys to uh, go back if you haven't heard it already. But Neff Brandon, my man, this. That's a fair question. I mean, at least you're coming into this eyes wide open, right? Like, Dan, he's not he's not trying to sneak this one through as if we don't know Sesk isn't a great defender. Oh, I mean, I guess that there could have been a sly, you know, like how do you feel like his talents as a tackler have progressed under Antonio Conte's uh, strict <laughs> well, hey, training regimen? Hey, this funny you say that because, okay, one slide tackle in preseason, one red card. He successfully <laughs> completed a legal slide tackle yesterday against Man City. So as far as, concerned, as, far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, I think uh, Nick told me that he was going to print out a photo of that and hang it above where he has his uh, King Drogba photo right now <laughs> ahead of his desk. I'm gonna guess that that didn't happen. Uh, before we, uh, before we, you know, let that war start internally. Uh, SP Beal, our man, he makes it onto the pod almost every episode. Nick loves his questions, but I'm gonna make Nick sit and wait for this one. He asks us, which one player would you want to have your back in a fight? So Dan. Um, we're going to start with you because I feel like Nick's going to have just a, a hilariously awesome response. So what do you got? Uh, I, I guess we're not going to clarify the terms of the fight, right? Like it's just going to say like, you know, generic schoolyard. Let's just say schoolyard. You know, everyone gets in a circle around you guys is chanting. I mean, who's got your back? Who's tag teaming? 
You know, I I, uh, I was never much of a fighter, and uh, I was waited until the uh, you know the teacher kind of got there. So I, I feel like uh, you know Cesc Fabregas kind of aligns with my fight style, where you kind of like get your one nip in, and then you get to you know, play possum or whatever, and then you don't get in trouble for it. Um, that really aligns with the way that I would fight. So uh, I would take Cesc Fabregas with me. So your strategy is to avoid all blame. Oh, absolutely. Get that, right. get that cast on someone else. All right, Tweeds. I mean, who's going to be the guy that you're walking down the street with when some drunks push you and start a fight? I, I want to do a quick one. I want to do a quick one in the past, oh. and I'll do some in the present. So the past one, actually, a few of you guys may know the name Andy Myers. He is sort of one of the coaching staff here, but he used to be, when I was growing up, sort of one of Chelsea's kind of defenders. And the sort of legend goes that Andy Myers was a particularly tough footballer. And there is a story about what happened between him and Roy Keane in the uh, tunnel. I think he, I don't know if it was after a game or, or it probably was after a game. I think Roy Keane was being a bit, uh, a bit mouthy and uh, Andy Myers confronted him. And, and Andy Myers, whose nickname was Tyson at the club, just to give you an idea of, of sort of what kind of person he was, um, knocked Roy Keane unconscious in the middle of the tunnel with one punch and then offered the rest of the Man United team out and no one come up to him and, uh, and said anything about it. And then uh, Andy Myers just sort of nodded and walked off very calmly. So yeah, we're going to go with, historically, I think Andy Myers probably tops the list. But um, in terms of present people, toss up between Diego Costa, Kurt Zuma and David Luiz. Um, I think Costa would just be like a street fighter. I think Zuma is just genuinely quite a big lump. But I think David Luiz is probably genuinely quite hard. I think sometimes, particularly when you see him playing midfield, you know, when people get in his face, I've never really seen him back down or look that worried about it. And Luis is a pretty impressive specimen. You know, he's very tall, he's very built, he's very athletic. He never looks that worried in a confrontation. So I might go Luis kind of overall, but uh, if I could pick historically a Chelsea player, 100% Andy Myers, and I would just stand behind him and let him do his thing while I kick them once they're on the floor. <laughs> I mean, you've got some really good reasons in there. And I think the funny thing is you've got proven case studies. No, no, no. I know what's going to happen, okay? This has already been done. I'm good. Um, personally, I think that I would go ahead. I think Zoom is too nice. He knows he is big. Um, but I just think that, uh, yeah, Diego Costa, I mean, when it's time to throw it down, I mean, he, he's ready. He ran from the bench to go get involved and even <laughs> though he was peacemaker we knew he was ready if he needed to be so nick uh where do you stand on this so you know joe joe classic joe taking three of the top three options obviously <laughs> you know so good good work there but um mine's mine's an under the radar pick and it was who i was going to pick anyway but i'm glad i'm kind of the last one uh because i would take the monumentage um because much like Diego Costa and, and Joe's comment earlier that he's probably seen some stuff. Um, he's a Serbian dude. I think Serbians are generally terrifying. And uh, he's also 6'4 and has the reach advantage. And, <laughs> and look, I'm not saying that he is, is the strongest guy on the team. But I've seen him hold off bigger, you know, more muscly people with one arm while he's dribbling a football. So I generally think he would be the best in a fight. Well, we've seen him react quite strongly to the Ashley Barnes tackle, you know, Burnley. So we know he's got it in him. Lean, mean, fighting machine, Nemanja Matic. 
All right. Tweet at us. Let, let us know what you thought. You know, I thought about throwing Victor Moses in there, but again, Ooh. he's pretty quiet, soft-spoken, but dude is built like a brick house. So again, at London Blue Pod, let us know who you would take. Thank you, SP Beal. All right. Then last one up, we have a question uh, via email from Eric. He's always emailing us, being an awesome listener, love chatting to him. He said, we were exposed on the left-hand side by a team with pace and use of the long ball. Cahill and Alonso couldn't handle the speed from De Bruyne and Navas. Will they look to make changes in the lineup or will they have to make a purchase in January window? Uh, I'm assuming he means to handle this. It kind of seemed like Man City decided that our left-hand side was our weaker side uh, and they attacked it. So, uh, Nick, you know, what do you think? Uh, was this just a bit of a blip uh, or is this something that they're maybe going to look to reinforce? So there's two parts to this. One, I think we made the I made the comment at the end of the first part of this podcast um, to go – um, and look at Alonzo's performances because the last two or three weeks, they haven't been fantastic. He's looked a little slow, a little sluggish, out of position, struggling to pass the ball and get forward, which is kind of where his his bread was buttered at Fiorentina and, and previously uh, in the Premier League at, at Bolton and Sunderland. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm in, I'd be encouraged to go look at that position again and maybe, uh, you know, if I'm Conte, you know, switch Dave back over there if, if need be, or, or look at another option. Um, two, I think we we all kind of note that our wing back position might be the most crucial part of this whole thing working right now, and we probably need to strengthen that in January, at least with a quality backup. You know, in case of injury or loss of form. So, I think those two things kind of culminate, and you're you're looking at it and saying, yeah, you probably need a, a backup here. You know, Dan, where do you stand, I guess, as far as it being just depth and general purpose or more about getting an upgrade? Uh, I, I think uh, January definitely is a, a time where upgrades, uh, especially that you know, teams competing to you know, earn their own spots in Europe or to, to go further in Europe uh, can sometimes be a little bit more difficult. Uh, yeah, I think Joe has made some great points about uh, you know, potentially having some players on a loan that we you know, could fit in this system. Um, so I think it would be more about having uh, depth than upgrade personally during the uh, the winter period. But uh, you, know, you never know. I mean, we could be shocked and surprised. You know, Joe, rumors about Kennedy coming back, uh, maybe then immediately going back out on loan. Also an attacking left-sided player. You know, but the other thing to think about, right, is if we keep Marcos Alonso, obviously I don't think we're going to sell him already, but if they were to bring someone else, that's just another player in Olaena's way, which is something that you brought up earlier talking about other midfielders. Yeah, um, I, I think in terms of Alonso, I mean, I wasn't hugely sold on him when we bought him. And I think, you know, he's been, he's been an okay player, but you know, this is the Premier League. I think over a period of time, people start to figure out you know, strengths and weaknesses of, of certain systems. And I think if you look at the middle of a game, if you go on who scored kind of statistical breakdown, I think about 49 or 50% of their attacks came down their right, down our left-hand side. City was about 48, 49%. So, you know, it, it's really becoming a, a, a kind of an area that players are targeting. And, and that is, you know, with Matic there as well as Fabregas. It's not necessarily kind of the midfield position that's really kind of determining where, where teams are going. But yeah, um, I think, you know, with him in the kind of long run, what you'll probably have is, is probably your kind of first choice left wing back as backup. But I also think you could see him operating as, as maybe like a left centre half as well. I've seen him play that for Fiorentina and obviously he's probably a bit better on the ball than Cahill, maybe not as good 
defensively, but you know, if you're looking to be a bit more of an expressive team or playing against someone who's going to basically put 11 men behind the ball, you know, putting someone like Alonso at left centre-half just so he can pass the ball a bit better isn't necessarily the worst idea. But yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's going to be an area that we need to, to focus on improving probably in the long term. I think we'll probably be able to get away with it for this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, going forward, it's probably an area that I think we need to look at just purely because from a defensive standpoint, you know, I just I just don't think really he has that same kind of athleticism that, that Victor Moses has and that sort of explosiveness that you probably need. You know, he's, he's got a good end product. I think we've seen some pretty good crosses from him and, you know, he's... He's not the, uh, you know, he's 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 not kind of a player who is going to be passing backwards and stopping moves. He seems to be quite progressive with the ball, but you know, I think we probably could and probably should aim to do a bit better there. Um, okay. Kennedy, yeah, Kennedy is an interesting one because I think from from a skill set standpoint, you know, he's kind of a bit like Victor Moses, and that he's very direct. We know he's he's fast. He can dribble. He's got kind of a very vicious left foot on him, but. My main concern is, is, you know, something that I had someone mention to me over the summer, one of the, the some a football agent guy who follows me, I'm, I'm you know, pretty chatty with, was just saying to me that Kennedy is, is not got the best attitude. And I think, again, some of the rumours that were coming out of Watford is the reason why he hasn't played more. Is that just his attitude in training and just general kind of day-to-day. He seems to be very kind of Brazilian in some respects, that he's not the best in training and, you know, that kind of general attitude that he's just happy to be a footballer as opposed to kind of, you know, making real inroads. But... You know, if if Conte has managed to turn Victor Moses into you know a very very viable right wing back and someone who, even if we do invest, you know, in the summer, could someone I would say, you know, right wing back necessarily isn't a place that we should look to strengthen. You know, if someone with Kennedy's raw talent, he's got a good shot, good cross, good attacking instincts. You know, he can dribble, he can beat a man. We've seen him play left back to an okay level, but I, I would assume that that would improve considering that he wouldn't have to defend all the time. He's definitely an interesting prospect. But yeah, I mean, you know, same with Volarena. You know, I thought he would. Maybe get a little bit more of a look in, but I think probably crashing out the League Cup didn't really help there. But you know, he's another one who can play left or right. He can play probably as a as a right sided centre half as well as a as a wing back. But a few options there. But I think probably if we're looking at priorities this season, if we were going to invest some money in a long term player um, in January, I think probably it'll be a centre half and Alonso will, will be more than enough this season, given that we're playing one game a week, given that we're not in Europe. Yeah, to kind of get ourselves, uh, you know, over the finish line this season. Yeah, I kind of had the same idea. Like, it'll work, right? Like, it'll be good enough for this season. But if we were to take a step up into Champions League, uh, it's going to have to be something to look at. So, uh, last part of this, uh, it's not actually a social media question, but you know, it's a rotating topic piece. I think that uh, we just wanted to bring up in case you guys have missed it. Uh, there is a lot of. Um, child abuse going on uh, from the 70s, I guess, maybe, you know, 80s. I'm not specific on the exact dates because it's all coming to light recently. A lot, a lot of issues happened. Um, Chelsea's former player, Gary Johnson, has come out and said that he was abused uh, by a staff member at Chelsea who is no longer living today. And they just had a lengthy apology slash statement. You can read the full statement on our website, um, but we just want to get it out there. Uh, make sure that everyone's aware of it because it is something very important to the club and also just football in general. Joe, I know we were talking beforehand about this and saying, you know, it's not necessarily a Chelsea problem. It's it's a much bigger problem that happens to be affecting Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, these, you know, these are not isolated incidents. I think probably in the UK, particularly sort of around that 70s, 80s, early 90s period, there, there has been some historical allegations that have come out really kind of more around corporate culture. So you've got things like the BBC, for example, have had a history of things like this. And 
I think from Chelsea's perspective, you know, they've kind of held their hands and said we maybe have dealt with this in, a, in an incorrect manner. But I, I kind of like the fact that they're, they're being open and are sort of willing to engage on it, which I think is a very, very important thing to do. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an extremely serious and sensitive topic, which you know, probably goes beyond sort of the realms of our kind of capabilities to discuss on a podcast. But it, it's yeah. not really a Chelsea-specific thing, I imagine. I, I mean, I actually saw Cholton as opening an investigation about abuse in the 90s. So, I, you know, it's it's something that could potentially affect every club. And you know, I think probably from a sensitivity standpoint, you know, the, the sort of mature thing is to sort of let it develop and not make assumptions and just hope that the club can, can deal with it in the correct manner. And I actually do think that the statement that they made, having read it, was, was the right thing to do. They've kind of held their hands up in some respects saying, you know, whether the external kind of law firm that they hired to do the uh, sort of review were, were right in, in getting that sort of, that sort of, what's it like, that, that uh, hush clause or whatever you want to call it, that sort of confidentiality clause in there, which they've actually lifted, you know, for the investigation, which again, I think is a good thing for openness. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that we, we obviously need to keep an eye on and just, just keep a sort of afloat with in terms of how it's going to be dealt with. I think, you know, you had some journalists this morning on the Sunday supplement programme, particularly Oliver Holt, who for whatever reason, seems to have a really huge issue with Chelsea, just about any time our name is mentioned in the press, was talking about points deductions and all this sort of stuff. So you can see that it's it's kind of got sort of a hyperbolic element to it. And I think some journalists are trying to sort of, you know, sensationalise it and make it kind of a bit more um, juicier than, than, than what it, you know, than what it needs to be in terms of being sensitive and, and dealing with it in the correct manner, ensuring that the people affected uh, are given the correct support and they're given the sort of correct conversation and, and, and uh, you know that they feel closure is, is there because I think you know the way that the press deal with things in the UK is often um, not necessarily the best way to do it and just trying to drag everything into light when some people would prefer it to be quiet and confidential and dealt with in a more sensitive manner so I'm kind of hopeful that the club have now got a handle on the situation um, you know are going to investigate it properly correctly and make sure that the right action is taken but equally and most importantly you know that those that do come forward and that have suffered the, you know, the abuse from, from whether it's at Chelsea or, or any other club in the UK, you know, the, the people involved are actually you know, treated in the correct manner and, and their wishes and then whatever they want really is respected because I think that's the main thing that we need to get out of this. Yeah. For me, uh, a big thing was just the fact that they acknowledged uh, Gary as a victim and just yeah. being very open with that uh, and sensitive. Uh, Nick, I know in the US here, we've seen some other things where people just deny, 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 maybe even you know, try to say, oh, this is a false witness. Chelsea didn't even, you know, go that route from the beginning. So the sensitivity, I feel like, and the seriousness is there. Yeah, I think I think first and foremost, you just feel for Gary Johnson and you feel for anybody who has been through this. You know, I, I can't even imagine what that would do to your psyche or to your mentality, you know, for life. Uh, I mean, it would just, it really is taking away someone's uh, dignity. And, and, I, you know, it's horrific I, I you know i do agree with joe that there's no way this is an isolated isolated incident i mean this kind of stuff has been happening you know if you if you read your history it's been happening for ever and ever and ever and uh, you know certainly chelsea are not going to be the only club indicted in something like this uh, you know when when one big club gets uh put under the the microscope usually a few other clubs follow suit because they have uh, they're either fearful that it'll come out in a terrible negative way or they you know, want to kind of get lumped into the bad press, which is unfortunate uh, with, with the way that media covers these things. But I think really the focus should be on the victims um, and, and specifically in this case, Gary Johnson. All right. Like I said, 
full apology on our website, londonisbluepodcast.com. Um, you know, we'll see. It's very early stages, but felt you guys should know. So uh, we're going to take a really quick break. Uh, World Soccer Shop is back with the deals. We will let you know about that. And when we get back, we're going to preview West Brom. Here we go. Hey, Chelsea fans, we're back. World Soccer Shop is back. We are teaming up with them uh, for a pretty cool uh, Chelsea fans holiday gift guide. So essentially, we've worked with them on picking out some of the best things that you can find on World Soccer Shop. And Dan has done a great job of adding a little bit of flair to why you would want to purchase uh, such a thing. So, Dan, do you want to give us a look in at, at maybe one of those items? Well, you know, I, I think, Nick, this is the time of year where friends, family, loved ones gather together and do the time-honored tradition of wearing ugly sweaters. Mm. And ultimately, we want to save you from having to go to one of those parties looking like a jerk. <laughs> when you review that photo years from now and you realize you could have worn something nice looking. And there's a wonderful Chelsea graphic sweatshirt that's in the guide that will make you look like a sharp and intelligent individual who supports the best club in the world. Uh, Nick, would there be something that you'd recommend too? You know, I think for maybe a more casual setting, maybe a Christmas day when everyone's just kind of in their PJs, you can look sharp as well uh, with maybe a 1984 short sleeve retro kit. Um, so throw it back to the days of Pat Nevin and, and look you know, have that 80s flair to you. Nice little thin red stripes on the jersey. Uh, nice old crest with the two stars on it. It looks great. You'll feel great. It's comfortable. You know, there's no there's no reason to overdo it. But, you know, just show show your family what's up. Yeah, you know, so for those of you who need to maybe get Santa a little suggestion before the end of the holiday season, uh, World Soccer Shop and London Blue Pod have teamed up to get you a great gift guide. Watching soon. Well, how about that, Chelsea fans? Get on over World Soccer Shop. Obviously, we you know promote them because they're such a great partner to us and help us uh, you know get the podcast. But more importantly, we're gonna get some sweet stuff out to you guys. But you know we need to look ahead. West Brom is coming up here in a couple of days. Premier League action coming back to Stamford Bridge. It'll be this coming Sunday on December 11th. Uh, Dan, as we look at this, you know, head to head wise, Chelsea have played 20 and 114 in recent meetings. One eight of those 14 at home, only losing three. Um, pretty good record, obviously, against West Brom, who, you know, Tony Pula's side is just known for 10 behind the ball, defend relentlessly, but they're on a bit of a hot streak lately. Well, I think you look at where they are on the table in seventh. A single point behind uh, one of the Manchester clubs uh, that also has a name United in it. Um, and they're ahead of teams that I think in the beginning of the season, like uh, Southampton, uh, West Ham, that we would have potentially projected at Leicester, um, who are much you know, you know, further down in comparison to them. So I, I think the, uh, the joke that it's just West Brom uh, really can't, be applied here because they uh, they've won games and you know they are competing in a manner that uh, is allowing them to play some uh, some effective football. Yeah, Nick, bit of a bogey team as of late. You know, last year we did draw them two two at home and just eked out the three two win at the beginning of the season uh, back in August 2015. So you know we Chelsea are cruising. But I think that we had a question in our Facebook group listing off like our next five, six games and someone asking how many points we were going to get. And I don't think anyone really gave West Brom a second look. Yeah, uh, I didn't. Certainly. Uh, I got I got schooled before the pod, the podcast started <laughs> about 
about where they were in the table. And that, it's just kind of shocking because at the beginning of the year, they were struggling so much to, to score a goal in a match, not, you know, let alone <laughs> two, but, um, but yeah, no, they are a bogey team for Chelsea. I mean, certainly they played us difficultly over the last uh, couple of seasons. Even, you know, if you think about the, um, the Ramirez uh, equalizer a few seasons back to preserve Jose Mourinho's um, home winning streak and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're difficult to play against. They're really solid and compact. Uh, they have a really good back line. Pulis drills them on, on not giving up much, but they can be had in the flanks. And I think that's an area where Chelsea are excelling right now. And, you know, let's see what, what happens with that matchup. You know, Joe, as we look at this, obviously Chelsea are just wins across the board on form. But West Brom, you know, a, a few games ago got rattled by City for nothing, which I think you can say is understandable. But then they've beaten Leicester away, crushed Burnley at home for nothing, drew one to one with Hull, which is maybe a little bit of a hiccup. But then, you know, 3 1 victory at Watford uh, at the weekend, you know, I mean, they're on a good streak, especially when you put it in terms for West Brom. Yeah, I mean, this this game and, and actually the next couple of games, I think these are going to be the ones that really define what happens with us this season because I'm quite confident, particularly seeing the sort of Spurs games and the City games, that I don't think we're really going to get beat um, you know, in sort of top four, top six pitches that much for the rest of the season. I know obviously the Arsenal and the, the Liverpool games are sort of kind of put to one side at this point in time, but... I think it's going to be these sort of fixtures and historically, you know, Chelsea kind of one of the, the kind of defining qualities of us as a club is that we would go and beat someone like City um, and then we would draw or we'd get beat by someone like West Brom. So I think we just, we need to keep very focused and I think maybe the, probably in the Middlesbrough game, I, I felt we kind of went into that a little bit too confident um, and, you know, we came came away obviously with the victory, but it was a little bit more hard fought than potentially I think some of the players envisioned. So, you know, I think it's going to be very much about if we're motivated and focused, I think we should win the game. And I think we should probably, you know, kind of eke out wins for the next couple of games. But this is going to be really what sort of defines Chelsea's season in terms of a period. Because, you know, if we can get, you know, maybe four or five wins or whatever in the next couple of games, that really does set us up for a, a, a title kind of push, you know, if we, again, look to strengthen in January. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably on paper, not necessarily the hardest game we're going to face, but you know, just beating City, the players are going to be on a high. We don't want to go into the game too overconfident because I think, again, looking at the Middlesbrough game, I don't think really we were fully at the races there. And I think that that's something that we're going to have to try and guard against for the rest of the season is complacency when we when we play in uh, matches in, in games where we're kind of expected to beat them. So kind of hopeful that obviously if, uh, if Matic isn't fit, I think Fabregas should be more than you know capable to deputise in this game. But just really for me, it's going to be concentration levels and just ensuring that you know, we don't just go into the game in cruise control and expect to win because I think as we've seen this season in the Premier League, doesn't matter who you are, if you look at Liverpool today, cruising at sort of 3-1 up, lose the game 4-3. So, you know, we just need to keep concentrated and keep fighting, keep pushing in every single match because, you know, nothing is a given, particularly sort of how competitive the league is across the board this season. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a good one. You know, again, we're going to have a whole week off to, uh, to get ready for it, but it's uh it, it could be a bogey so you know as, as we get ready to head into this uh you guys can tweet us what you think is going to happen uh we'll get our predictions posted as we get closer to the match but um yeah i think overall guys you know for doing a, a back-to-back sunday afternoon pod 
think we covered a lot of stuff. Uh, I thought it was really enjoyable. So, you know, Joe, thank you for coming. Nick and Dan, as always, you guys are fantastic. So let's go ahead and throw out some final thoughts. Um, Nick, what are you thinking as you head into this week before West Brom? Well, I mean, it was um, hopefully there's less incident. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully it's more of a, a cruise. But, you know, I think I – I just really want to say thank you to our, our correspondents and, and the guys who write for our website. Uh, you know, the more content we've been getting, the more, you know, quality we've seen from it. And I think you guys are really driving a lot of conversation. So I uh, just want to give a quick shout out to, to those guys who are doing some, uh, some hard work uh, that's, you know, not, not in this format, but in a, uh, in a, a written word format and uh, certainly want to thank Joe for, for coming on and being our Alec Baldwin. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it takes, it takes a lot of courage to write and put your stuff out there and kind of put your name on it. Uh, but these guys have done an awesome job. So if you have been living under a rock and didn't know about that, check out our website. Awesome. Awesome articles outside of the podcast notes. Uh, Dan, what about you? Yeah, uh, I think uh, you know Nick's Nick's call for a, a less uh, turbulent match is uh, is a wonderful one, uh, but you know I, I think uh, I, I just you know I, I can't appreciate you know Conte enough. You know I, I think that ultimately at the uh, end of the game, the way he you know jumps around, the way he's you know uh, gesticulating on the sidelines, you know for for ninety whole minutes, uh, and I think it's. Uh, it's quite amazing to read the opinions of other, uh, t- you know, supporters of other clubs and see how much they wish they had someone who cares as much as Conte and uh, to have that transition happen this year in addition to everything else. Or uh, whether they're United or Arsenal or uh, City supporters, you, you can read people that are very jealous of the position that we're in. And, uh, you know, I think it's just uh, it's a moment not to take for granted. You know, if Jake Coner here, he'd have to say the board might have done the right thing last season. But we're going to have him back on and have that discussion later. Um, my final thought is if you guys, again, plugging the website, haven't been there, our show notes are fantastic. I put all the graphics, the links. Uh, if your tweet was mentioned in this podcast or the other part one, it will be on the website. So go check it out. Uh, also videos, things. It is, uh, some really cool stuff we've been able to do. So, uh, check it out. But Joe, um, I know you've moved lately, you know, you made the big move, but when are we going to see another piece from you? What should we kind of be on the lookout from your neck of the woods? I, I suppose probably just, just two real sort of closing thoughts for me. I think last season was kind of good in a weird way because I'm, I'm feel that I'm appreciating what's happening this season a lot more. Um, I think we've had such a good ride as Chelsea fans really probably from, you know, 2003, 2004 onwards that kind of a season like last season where it was sort of like watching kind of an early nineties Chelsea side where we, we might play well one week and then we'd sort of go on like a seven month kind of drawing sequence. And, you know, it, it's kind of good. It's sort of almost, reset expectations in a way and I think this season particularly you know results like the City game and, and the Spurs game you kind of leave them feeling a lot more satisfied with the result and the performance and you kind of I've kind of started to appreciate the club a lot more um, sort of after last season and yeah I mean I think for me personally that's probably been the highlight I think I've, I've rekindled a lot of the passion that I've had for the club that kind of left me a little bit last season when 
you know, every single week it was sort of the same sort of same tepid performance with players who looked like they couldn't be bothered and you're just sort of thinking, what's the point? You know, you're sort of almost exhausted with it by the end of the season. You know, that's been a huge, huge change. Um, secondly, you know, I suppose for me personally, um, looking to get a bit more active in terms of my writing. So I have something... Don't know if it probably it might actually get this week. Actually, I'm just sort of tweaking and writing and finally up now. But just something which is looking at um, David Luiz's transition um, from kind of traditional centre half to playing more of that kind of libero sort of centre centre back role that he's playing at the moment for Conte. So giving him a bit of love um, this season. Um, I think that will probably go up on wagon at some point um, if uh, Mr. Makari or Mr. Pastor. We'll edit that for me at some point. But yeah, I mean, I'm working on that. And hopefully once that's up, I'm, I'm going to try and be a little bit more prolific in terms of writing. So I've kind of got the writing bag back a bit now as well, which also helps. So yeah, just uh, something on David Luiz. I think probably this week will go up at some point. And then after that, I think maybe just having a little look at probably the January window. Um, I've got a few little players that I'll probably do a little, a little write-up on, you know, sort of additions that we might make. But yeah, just uh, excited what's happening at the club at the moment. Really kind of positive about everything. Um, just hope that obviously we can continue playing well. And I think, yeah, I think Conte really is going to be the person that finally might be able to set us up for a bit of long-term success, which you know, I think everyone has been wanting for a pretty long time. You know, no, no one ever is really going to match sort of the Ferguson era, but if we can get maybe five, six years out of a manager and, and push forward, you know, I think we can do some great things under, under Conte. And I just hope that we continue, continue to get better, continue to improve the squad and uh, hopefully... You know, within a year or two, Nathaniel Trelobo will captain us to the European Cup and we'll all be happy. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, all right, well, as you guys know, you know, head over to We Ain't Got No History uh, on SB Nation's website. We are there, Joe is there, all of the great stuff regarding Chelsea is there. So we're done. It's a wrap. We will be at West Brom sooner than we think. But until next time, and as always, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high. All right, Chelsea fans, that is a wrap for this week. Don't panic, though, as we'll be back after Chelsea's next match. So to be sure you don't miss it, subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at LondonBluePod. Until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high.